0: Just a pull up over Jan Oh, no,
1: that was slew high from winnipeg and oi nashivan there went our johnny vitayu vasufsig do radio suchechi na radio nash holos radio kinskoho kurinya yakapo deyetja umestivankvery v shto subote 6 hodeni vechera na radio am 1320 chmb Умістене на наймо кожну із do з 11 до 13-го деня на хвили ХЛІ, FM і по всьому світі по мережі PCJ Радіо Міжнародному. З вами Поліна Маквари, дякую, що рішила перебути зі мною наступну хедену. Hello there and welcome to Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio, coming to you Saturdays at 6pm on AM 1320 CHMB, Vancouver, Wednesdays from 11am to 1pm on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo, and around the world on AM, FM, shortwave and satellite radio via PCJ Radio International. I'm your host, Paula Demchik-McQuarrie, Pukadinska Pavlina, and I'm delighted to have you with me. We've got a great program lined up for you from the Holos Audio Vault Ukrainian food flair and a very seasonal recipe, as well Ukrainian Jewish heritage and an interview with an amazing American author who specializes in the restoration of Jewish heritage sites in Eastern Europe. We've also got our usual proverb of the week, other items of interest, and great Ukrainian music. And coming up next, a Ukrainian group by the name of Dzwone. And a song that was uh, quite popular Oh, going back a couple decades now is called Smereka, which translates as Spruce Tree, but it's really a song about a girl.
0: ла хатина заглядав вікно смерека в тиха не є дівчина та до неї так Ростеш далеко, чарівна моя Смереко. О, Смереко, розкажи мені Смереко, Чом ти так ростеш далеко, чарівна моя Смереко. Карпати осінь крила, полонину всю манила. Лише дівчину свою любу ми з тобою не зустріли. Ой, смереко, розкажи мені, смереко, Чом ти так ростеш далеко, чарівна моя смереко? Раскажи мені, смереко! Чом ти так ростеш далеко? Черівна моя, смереко! Ой, смереко! розкажи мені, смереко! Чом ти так ростеш далеко? Черівна моя, смереко! Ой, смереко! розкажи мені, смереко! ростеш далеко Черівна моя смиреко.
1: And from Edmonton, Alberta, that was the Euphoria Band with a traditional Ukrainian folk song and Harness the Horses Boys. Up next, a song called Dimi by Yasinev from somewhere in Canada long, long ago. Here they are now. Yasinev with Dimi.
0: Дівчину діви Очі мали як серне Те, що сумно, поважне діви Несла полниця води Бо я на керплень бітром діви І тоді го глянула Затримала, споглянула діви ¡Suscríbete
1: From the Nashholos Audio Archives, Ukrainian Food Flare. And now, Ukrainian Food Flare with Judy Renenko.
2: Vitaimo, and welcome to Ukrainian Food Flare. Have you noticed the clouds are high and wispy and a little chill in the evening air? Fall is certainly on its way. The fall fruits and leaves are spectacular. Bright orange, red, green, and even a golden yellow. Today, we're talking Ukrainian folklore and pumpkins. Well, now I will explain to you why historically Ukrainian men do not like a pumpkin. This is a true story which I found on a fantastic website called Travel West Ukraine and noticed similar stories on other sites. It is a very old tradition, still from medieval times. When a Ukrainian boy wanted to marry a girl, he did not buy her a ring and he did not ask her, will you marry me on bended knee, in a romantic place somewhere. No, in Ukraine, a different method was used to ask her hand in marriage. The suitor had to find two special people, a relative or friend, and he went with these special people to the house of the girl he wanted to marry. Ukrainians call these two special people Stadista or svate. Stadista must be a wise person and preferably with a good sense of humor because they will make a special speech to the parents of the future bride. Usually, Stadiste were men, but the odd time they would be a woman. So, Stadiste and the potential fiancé would come to the girl's parents and give a special speech. At the end of the speech, they would ask the parents to allow their daughter to be the wife of this young man. But the parents usually answered, We need to ask the opinion of our daughter to find out what she thinks. The next event is very important. The girl stays silent. And if she wants to marry this man, she ties a ceremonial embroidered towel over the shoulder of each of the Stadister. She also ties a nice shawl on the hand of the young man. All these actions mean just one word, yes. But if the answer is no, then the Stadister gets nothing and the young man receives a pumpkin from the girl. This is her way of saying she does not want to marry this man. Parents who had a very pretty daughter needed to have many pumpkins because a pretty girl has many offerings of marriage. So people were usually joking to the parents, "Ah uh-uh, ah, you need to grow a big garden of pumpkins. In those days, it was a shame for a Ukrainian man to get a pumpkin instead of a shawl. In the people's opinion, he was not a very good man if a girl did not want to marry him, especially if he got more pumpkins from other girls. Usually, if a modern Ukrainian boy proposes marriage to a girl, he buys her a ring, as is done in the rest of the world. But the saying, to get a pumpkin, is still very popular in Ukraine. This phrase usually means that somebody has said no to you in a very important business matter. Also, if Ukrainians say about some man, he got a pumpkin from his girlfriend, it means the same as it did several centuries ago. It means she did not want to marry him. Eating pumpkin is a different story altogether. Ukrainian men like eating pumpkin just as much as women do all over the world. Tonight, I've got a unique recipe from the kitchens of Ukraine, Ludmilla's Pumpkin platsok. For this recipe, you will need pierogi dough of your choice, a pumpkin filling, oil, and a frying pan. Oh yeah, don't forget the rolling pin. If you don't have your own pierogi dough recipe, here's mine. Three cups of flour, one cup of hot water, and 1 teaspoon of salt. Mix together until smooth, form a ball, cover in plastic, and let rest for 20 minutes. While it's resting, make the pumpkin filling. In a bowl, combine contents of one 14-ounce can of pure pumpkin. Make sure it's not the pumpkin pie filling. Add 1 quarter cup of sugar, 2 teaspoons of cinnamon, 1 half teaspoon each of nutmeg, allspice, and ginger is optional. Divide the dough into three. Roll out one-third, very thin, about the thickness of a dime. Spread one-third of the mixture evenly over the dough. Fold in corners to meet in the middle. Seal the edges by tapping the dough lightly. Add a bit of oil to a frying pan or flat grill, about two tablespoons. Heat oil until slightly smoking. Carefully place the dough into the pan. Fry until golden brown, then flip. You will need to use two egg turners or a large flipper. Fry until golden brown, then slide onto a plate and dust with sugar or icing sugar. This will make three platskies. You can use any kind of fruit or pie filling. Use your imagination and create a new family favorite. This is great if you're making perehe and have leftover dough. Doh and smutchnoho. noho! This has been Ukrainian Food
1: Flare from the Nash Holos Audio Archives. Visluhete Radioprotamo Nash Holos Radio Greens Koho Korinia, Kotrapo na Nakvelli CHLY, Oden Nul, Oden Sim FM, Umisci Nanaimo. Hovorich Pavlina. You're listening to Nasholas Ukrainian Roots Radio, broadcasting live at CHLY 101.7 FM in beautiful downtown Nanaimo. I'm your host, Paulina.
3: Mm-hmm. Dunajem, zadunajem, tam muzika grala, a ja zbije
0: čori njegov lopića s
3: Ту я в госустрічку
0: брови фільмаю ю того
1: to Ontario. That was Dunai from their most recent recording made a couple of years ago. Ah, 2015 I think now. And that was traditional Ukrainian folk song, Zadunayim Beyond the Danube. Up next, we're going to be going back in time again. And this is Luba coming up next from Montreal. And traditional Ukrainian folk song, Je A song all about rye, sort of.
4: She told me то she was a woman, like a girl who lived in the country. And I я ти маю, чи 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 брести, сама не не Ей сама я не знаю я чи чи сама не жито Я та законы любить, ти кули чорні очки. І сама я не знаю, що діяти маю, чи плести, чи присти, сама не вгадаю. І сама я не знаю, що діяти маю, чи плести, чи присти, сама не вгадаю. Чи це тая криніченько, що я його тупила? Чи це тая юченько, що я його любила? І сама я не знаю, що діяти маю, чи плести, чи присти, сама не вгадаю. І сама she сама someone never
1: And now for a look at Ukraine's rich Jewish heritage, Then and Now, brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter, based in Toronto, Ontario. This is Pavlina, producer and host of Nashholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Ruth Ellen Gruber is an American journalist, author, editor, and researcher. She has published and lectured widely and has won several awards for her work on Jewish heritage and contemporary Jewish issues in Europe. Her book, Jewish Heritage Travel, A Guide to Eastern Europe, was first published over 25 years ago and is still considered the most complete Jewish travel guide to the region. We first learned about Ruth and a bit about her work last year in an episode here on Ukrainian Jewish heritage, Dealing with Dark Tourism which involves travel to places historically associated with death and tragedy. Ruth's work, however, sheds light on Jewish heritage sites with the goal of keeping alive the memory of Jewish life in Europe through the restoration of physical reminders. Despite an insanely busy schedule, Ruth Ellen Gruber graciously agreed to share some of her thoughts about her work, the changes she has observed, and what it all means for the future. I caught up with her by phone at her home in Italy. So you're American-born, raised, and educated. What prompted you to move to Europe after graduating university?
5: Well, it was personal, actually. I mean, in my senior year of college, I studied in Europe and then went back. And after graduation, I came back to visit my parents, who were living in Europe at the time. And then, you know, I ended up getting a job after hanging out at home for a bit and then doing some research work for my father. I ended up getting a, a job as a at, with the Associated Press as an intern in Rome, and then I was hired um, sort of on a full time basis by United Press International, where I subsequently was based in six different countries in a career with them as a foreign correspondent.
1: Wow! So you took journalism in university? That was your degree?
5: No, no. I have an art, a degree in art. You know, I always wanted to be a writer.
1: Ah. Okay, so you were foreign correspondent for several years.
5: For over a decade, yeah.
1: Was that dangerous
5: work? Dangerous, I wouldn't say. When I was a correspondent for United Press International, I worked for them, I was based for them in six different countries. Half of the time I was in communist countries. And when I was based in Poland in the very early 1980s, I ended up being arrested and um put into jail for 24 hours and you know there was a big case where they appeared to accuse me of espionage it was a big nothing burger really it was they were making a case out of me to try to intimidate other reporters and then I was expelled from the country but I was never in any danger then and where i was and what i was doing i don't think i was ever really in any danger as a foreign correspondent i was in europe the whole time
1: that sounds scary although it's it's good that you weren't um in serious danger it was just a kind of a show thing
5: yeah it was but it was a big deal at the time because sure. it was it was uh, january 1983 and it was a time of great tension you know poland they'd had the solidarity revolution solidarnosc and then martial law had been imposed and this was an attempt by the authorities to make an example of me. They sort of pretended to accuse me of espionage, <laughs> oh, boy. even though it was completely made up. It mm-hmm. was very clear that it was very made up. But it was a way that they were trying to intimidate other Western journalists, but also intimidate Polish people mm. who were our sources or our friends. Right. It didn't work, but I was expelled from the country, and I couldn't go back to Poland until the the ouster of the communists some years later. So
1: what led you to uh, specialize in Jewish heritage travel, writing a book?
5: Well, half of my career with UPI was in communist countries. Yugoslavia, I was based in in what was then Yugoslavia, and then in Poland. And from both Belgrade and Warsaw, I covered the, the Eastern Bloc, as we called it. And this is a place where, especially in Poland, which was, you know, the, mm-hmm. the Jewish heartland. Right. But when I covered this area as a journalist, I covered Jewish stories, but, you know, only as part of the whole story that I was covering, political, social, economic, whatever. And um, on my second visit to Romania, I traveled all around Romania with the, the then chief rabbi, who was quite a character. We visited, at Hanukkah, we visited lots of Jewish congregations and synagogues, Jewish communities, all around the country. I think I traveled with a rabbi for six days, and I think we visited 19 Jewish communities. Mm -hmm. And so I saw these buildings, and I saw some of the cemeteries, and in one of these towns, it was the town that my grandparents had come from. So while we were there... I was able to go to the Jewish cemetery and they helped me find the grave of my great grandmother who was buried there. And, you know, I wrote about this, but I wrote about it as part of all the, the political and other stories that I was writing about these countries. Mm-hmm. However, I had had this experience. And then about a decade later, at the end of the, the 80s, when the wall was coming down, my brother had just become the founding director of what was called the Jewish Heritage Council of the World Monuments Fund. And he was trying to establish inventories of what remained of Jewish heritage sites in the former communist bloc. Mm. And since I was covering the revolutions, let's say, in 1989, 1990, Mm -hmm. he said to me, you know, when you're out there covering these political events, if you come across a synagogue, a Jewish cemetery, whatever, please take a picture, make a description, and send it back, because there were no inventories of what was there. There was an assumption that nothing remained. There was an assumption, let's say, in the United States, that nothing remained, mm-hmm. and or very little remained. Mm-hmm. And nobody had general files. I soon found out that there were individuals in each of these countries who, on their own, had... Done research on the ground and had gone out with their backpacks and their bicycles Mm -hmm. and old maps to find these places. But many of them were not in touch with the others, and there was sort of no comprehensive idea of what was there across the region. So I started doing this, you know, and I got extremely interested in it. And my brother came to Europe twice. I think it was September 1989. We traveled in Hungary together, and then in May... 1990, on one of my first trips back to Poland after I was expelled, we traveled in Poland looking for these sites. And so I got very interested in it. And then I I wrote an article for the New York Times in 1990 about visiting the vestiges of Jewish civilization in, in Poland, visiting what was there. And this, indeed, was an exercise in dark tourism, because everything, basically everything I saw was a ruin.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: or a synagogue transformed into something else, or cemeteries that were totally overgrown. This was like visiting sites of tragedy. Right. But then I got very interested in it, and I made a book proposal and got a contract to write a guidebook to Jewish to Central and Eastern Europe, and that became Jewish Heritage Travel, which was my first book.
1: Right. That was published about you said over twenty five years ago now, but it's yes. it's and it's been republished several to updated editions.
5: Yes, yes. It was it was first published in 1992, and then there were three more editions. The last one was published by National Geographic in 2007.
1: And you've published another book since?
5: Yeah, I've published several other books. The next book I published was called Upon the Doorposts of Thy House, Jewish Life in East Central Europe Yesterday and Today. And in this book I it's I think five long essays about how the physical remains and the physical traces of pre-war Jewish history and Jewish civilization resonate today how they how they are today what they look like today I mean today meaning you know the early yeah. 1990s sure. and and how 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 memory how they trigger memory and I call it upon the doorposts of the house because in, in Jewish tradition, you put a mezuzah, that is a, a scroll right. with a, a verses from the Bible, from the Torah, on the doorposts of your house, mm-hmm. and they mark Jewish houses. The mezuzah marks Jewish houses. Right. And my sort of conceit that I used in this book was that in, in many places in Europe, especially in Eastern Europe, but also I've seen it in Italy, uh, many houses at that time, you could see the scars where mezuzahs used to be, where they had had been removed, either by force or when people, you know, moved away or something. But they denoted these scars, these places where mezuzahs used to be. You can still see where they used to be. They denoted places where Jews once lived but didn't live anymore. And just like these, you know, empty places Mm -hmm. of mezuzahs on doors, I made the conceit more like these physical remains, the synagogues that still stand, the Jewish cemeteries that still stand, even though they may be abandoned and in terrible condition. They're like symbolic mezuzahs because they indicate towns and cities and villages, right. entire countries where Jews once lived and don't live anymore. And then the memories that people have are also like symbolic mezuzahs because they they also still resonate even though many decades have passed,
1: I learned about Mizuzas actually just last week. I spoke with a young man in Kiev, who's I call him a born again Jew. <laughs> he found his mother is Jewish, his father's Ukrainian, and he only really found out seven or so years ago that he was Jewish because his mother was, and mm-hmm. and so he's like now on a journey of discovery, and he's also sure. yeah, he's also cataloging all the shtetls. Uh, they have disappeared or are about to disappear in, uh, in central and eastern Ukraine where there's not that much restoration work being done. And I don't understand why, why they would be removed from doors.
5: Well, because when the Nazis came, they ripped them away. Yeah, okay. Or when people fled, they often took them with them. Or, or when, after the war, people rebuilt the houses and moved in, you know, they, they took them down. There weren't Jews living there anymore, so they took them down. Hmm. You know, those are the three main reasons that the, that they wouldn't be there anymore.
1: Right. Yeah. I've been speaking with Ruth Ellen Gruber, an American journalist, writer, editor, and researcher, now living and working in Europe. She is the author of several books, including Jewish Heritage Travel, A Guide to Eastern Europe, and Upon the Doorposts of Thy House, Jewish Life in East Central Europe. In part two of this interview next week, we discuss her other books, a website she runs that collates information and news about Jewish heritage sites in Europe, as well as her work in Ukraine. I hope you'll join us next week. Thank you for listening today. I'm Paulina, producer and host of Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Until next time, Shalom. Vyslujete rádio předávající náš Holos Radio Ukrajinských korínjů na rádiové stanici CHLY od DN0 umístěné na Naimo. Zvámě Pavlína. You're listening to náš Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on CHLY 101.7 FM in Naimo. I'm your host Pavlína.
0: Let's
1: That is a contemporary favorite called Show. Why Didn't You Come? performed by a group called Luhansky Kozake and that was recorded back when Ukraine was not torn apart and uh, that area of Ukraine was part of a nation of hope. Again, Luhansky Kozake with Show. Coming up next, another step back in time. Here is Ruzhnachok from Montreal with a story of the Hetman Yuri Chuytunek. <laughs>
0: Hey, hey, oh, hey, hey, hey <tungstensisa.catrice2> си мов петлу ра бороти сама дискою бою що я грізний вихор прийшли ей ей що я грізний вихор прийшли ей прийде пора йде на розклад для ворога наго пане ей смія нам стане бити у параде чужо несе беру преда
1: Was Yogi Klas from Winnipeg with the wedding march from Carpathia. Zuhodenu bulas vamė Pavlina, Naháda hadu juves sukite radio pratamunąs holos radio nashoho korinia Zalaschaties jis name nestupnu hodenu. Dali peradiu mikrofonu Oksani. Zaprosiu paslukti troche pro istoriją ir tradicijos poviest Oksana. Ala peritiamia kočius zalaschytėvasti kime slavame mudrostė. žerno zasivaish, ta kėi iplėd pasberaiš. And our proverb of the week is, whatever seed you plant, such also will be your harvest. Well, our time is about up. So to take us to the end of our program, we have the D-Drifters 5 from Winnipeg, I think. Again, a long time ago in a traditional Ukrainian folk song, Oh, How I Love Peter. And with that, we've come to the end of the first hour of Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. Please stay with us as Oksana takes over the microphone to host the next hour. Meanwhile, please join me here again next Wednesday from 11 a.m. till 12 noon. And until then, do stay in touch with both Oksana and me via our Facebook page and Twitter. If you're able to catch the live transmission of the show, make sure to use the fantastic new media player at www.chly.ca. If you miss the live transmissions of any show, you can always catch the podcast. There's a media player as well as a link to the Nosh podcast feed at our website, com. We're also on Mixcloud along with the other fine programs here on CHLY 101.7 FM. So, stay tuned next for the Nasholos Ukrainian Hour with Oksana, followed by Wellness Wednesday to learn how to be healthy naturally. And at 2 p.m., join Gord Bibby for two hours of Great Oldies on Groovin' with Bibby G. I'm Pavlina. Thanks so much for listening. Dozu Music